Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 484th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly. In Florida. (laughs) I'm like, Kelly, we're in the same location at the same time recording together. It's so nice. Yeah, it may only be for this weekend, but fingers crossed maybe for a little (laughs) bit longer. We have a location that we're sharing with everybody on this episode that I think nearly every paranormal TV show out there has covered. I'm sure a ton of paranormal groups have investigated. This was suggested by our listener, Stephanie Kalaje, and that is Hillview Manor in Pennsylvania. Lots of haunts going on here. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Michelle with two L's, Becca, Scott, Heather, Mandy, Alan, Sarah with no H, Pluto, James, Daryl, Heidi, and Justin. Thank you so much for joining our Facebook group. And now this moment, Noddity. Most of our listeners know that we were recently married and that we honeymooned in the Florida Keys. Apparently, while we were visiting Key Largo, there was an unusual world record attempting to be broken. Joseph Turi had been living 30 feet below the surface of the Florida Keys since March 1st, and he planned to stay there for 100 days. Joe is a South Florida University professor who is a former U.S. Navy diver and expert in biomedical engineering. If he's able to accomplish this goal, he will break the current record for most time spent in a habitat beneath the surface of the ocean. On March 15th, Mr. Deturi spoke with USA Today during a Zoom call. Although he is set to break the world record if he stays submerged for 100 days, the professor stated that his purpose is to study how the human body responds to long-term exposure to extreme pressure. Before beginning the endeavor in his 100-square-foot habitat, Joseph underwent various psychological and medical tests, and he will continue to do so while submerged. These tests will continue once he emerges topside. The study is costing $250,000 to fund, and the research is to study the psychological effects of living in an isolated, confined environment for months, and to explore whether living under pressure can increase lifespans and prevent certain aging diseases according to the news release about the project. We haven't done this level of research on people while they were underwater, Deturi told reporters last week. 
No human ever stayed past 73 days. We're going to go all the way to 100. Diane and I love snorkeling and the ocean, but living isolated and under the ocean's surface for 100 days, regardless of the purpose, certainly is odd. This history podcast is haunted. And now, this month in history. In the month of April, on the 4th in 1802, Dorothea Dix was born in Hamden, Maine. She was an early 19th century activist who changed the medical field by challenging various practices regarding the care of both the mentally ill and indigenous populations. In addition, she helped recruit nurses for the Union Army during the Civil War. At a young age, Dorothea moved to Boston to live with her grandmother. She attended school while there and also tutored children. While doing so, she fell ill several times and had to stop teaching. At this time, Dorothea's doctor suggested that she spend some time in Europe. While overseas, she met different groups of reformers who were pursuing changes in the ways in which the mentally ill were cared for. Once back in the States, Dorothea began touring mental hospitals around the country. She reported back to many politicians in efforts to look at new care alternatives for asylums. Eventually, she established asylums in New Jersey, North Carolina, and Illinois. Once the Civil War began, Dorothea dedicated herself to the Union cause, although she was known for treating both the Union and Confederate soldiers, which gained her respect from both sides. Dix held high standards for her nurse recruits after being designated the superintendent of Army nurses. These high expectations lent to extreme success and was pivotal in the advancement of nurses in the war and medical field. Manor is located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. This started as the Lawrence Home for the Aged, a poor farm to take the place of a previous poor farm in the town. It was open until 2004 and saw hundreds of people come through the doors. This location hosts an annual paranormal convention called HillCon, an annual psychic fair, and a haunted house attraction called Scare Manor at Halloween. So clearly this location has some unexplained things going on, and they embrace that fact. Join us as we share the history and hauntings of Hillview Manor. Newcastle sits near the border of Pennsylvania and Ohio, about 50 miles from Pittsburgh. This was an area first inhabited by the Mingos, Lenape, and Seneca, who set up little towns along the Beaver River called Kaskuski Towns. A civil engineer named John Carlisle Stewart arrived in 1798 and noticed that a 50-acre plot at the confluence of the Neshanoc Creek and Shenango River had not been part of a survey done to incorporate land and grants for Revolutionary War veterans. 
How did they miss 50 acres? I don't know. He claimed it for himself and platted out a small town that became a borough in 1825, and by 1869, it was a city. European immigrants came from all over, and one of the largest Amish communities sprung up nearby. So if you need some furniture, I know where to go. There you go. Canal systems built in the early 19th century caused Newcastle to flourish. And this put the city in the crosshairs of the Black Hand Society, who set up their headquarters nearby. This group extorted money from the blue-collar workers of Newcastle. The town eventually came to be known by two other monikers, Hot Dog Capital of the World. Oh, my. (laughs) And the Fireworks Capital of America. Well, that sounds like they go hand in hand. Have some dogs while you're watching watching the fireworks. fireworks. (laughs) I would have never guessed that someplace in Pennsylvania would be the fireworks capital of America. That's pretty cool. In the 1920s, Lawrence County needed a new poorhouse, and it chose Newcastle as the location. We featured a few poorhouses on the podcast through the years. Early on, these were places that became a catch-all for the impoverished, sick, elderly, or mentally ill. Communities needed a way to care for people who had no one to look after them. Perhaps their family members had all passed away, or they had no friends to turn to, or they just couldn't afford to pay someone to care for them. Poor houses seemed like a good alternative, giving women a building to care for and men a place to get job training. These were actual farms, so the impoverished could have some pride in working on a farm. But as is the case with good intentions, many times things don't always work out well. Overcrowding and sickness made many of these houses bad places to live. This new Lawrence County poorhouse would take the place of the original poorhouse built in 1867. That one burned down on October 14th, 1897. Your birthday. I know, what a bad day to have that happen. (laughs) And fortunately, none of the inmates living there died. The property was expanded and rebuilt with an infectious disease hospital added, housing around 20 inmates. And of course, when I say inmates, I think people understand that that's what they used to call them back then. Some of them were serving court-imposed sentences and others were just poor. The farm closed when the city of Newcastle and Lawrence County joined forces to open a new poorhouse. The old poorhouse eventually became the Sylvan Heights Golf Course. The new poor farm would be located on 23 acres the county purchased near Elwood Road. The government then set to building the Lawrence County Home for the Aged. This was designed by architect A.L. Thayer and opened on October 19, 1926. It's made from all red brick. I don't really know what the architectural style is of it. It's pretty basic, just your standard block buildings. And of course, they've added to it over time. The footprint of it, what I've seen, like what it is now, you have this one big center building and then it has all these wings that kind of come off of it. So there's a lot of different, very, very long hallways. (laughs) That's always interesting to look down those long hallways and imagine things going on. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it could kind of throw you off a little bit. We were discussing this when we were watching one of the shows that was investigating this location. I think it was Portals to Hell. And Jack was like standing there going, wow, this hallway makes me feel weird. And then they put the camera view to that. And it even watching it on TV, it gives you kind of a weird feeling. I felt like we did when we were on the Queen Mary and you're on one end and you're just looking straight down the ship down the hallway. Right. It kind of gives you almost like a vertigo feeling. Yeah. Makes you feel very unstable, and it's just weird for your mind to comprehend like that kind of a length and perspective and such. The first managers of the home were Perry and Mary Snyder, who were coming over from the original poor farm. They also brought their two children with them, and they were joined by 12 staff members. 
The 20 inmates at the Old City Poor Farm were brought here as well, one of whom was a young boy. And we wanted to point that out because generally at a poor farm, you didn't have a whole lot of children, but this one did have a couple. Right. Although the Snyders clearly had experience, they had been doing this since 1913, the care of the residents faltered enough that by 1944, the Snyders were accused of incompetency. They were in their late 70s, though, so we blame the county as well for not replacing them earlier. I mean, if you're going to put people who are in their late 70s in charge of running a place with all these people there, you know, (laughs) I kind of understand why we had a little incompetency going here. Not that people who are in their late 70s can't do things, but maybe you should have some younger people in charge. Yeah, it's hard work. I mean, common sense. Yeah. A court hearing was held in June, and it was ruled that the Snyders would be retired and then paid pensions. They were told that they could stay at the home, but by August, they were being ordered to vacate. They were given more diminished roles, which I don't know what that means. Right. I don't know if they were still doing such a poor job. They were like, get out of here. Or if they just decided they didn't want to give them a a free ride there. I'm not sure. But it was like, just get the hell out of here. The longtime director of the welfare department, Mance B. Hogue, took over management. The home would take on the role of being a skilled nursing center in the 1960s and was remodeled under a new director, Clarence E. Covert. In 1973, with funds from the county becoming scarce and a horrible overcrowding issue, Director Covert resigned. He's like, I'm out. If you're not going to give me money to run this place, forget it. So then he resigns and the county decides, okay, well, let's go ahead and add some more space and build a new larger section with three more levels of space that could house 30 residents. And this is that bigger building that I was talking about had a new dining room and kitchen that were also included. So I don't know if him like throwing down the gauntlet, they're like, oh, maybe we should do something here. (laughs) Yeah, you know, he didn't stick around long enough. We better do something about this. Most of the rest of the building was remodeled as well. This opened in 1977. And with that came a name change to what the property is known now, Hillview Manor. The building covers 85,000 square feet. This was a perfect name as the building sat on top of a grassy hill. Hillview Manor ran as a nursing home until it finally closed its doors in 2004. And it sat for a bit unused until the paranormal world breathed new life into the building that has been deteriorating with peeling paint, leaky roof, and crumbling floors. Trico Enterprises, Inc., a Pittsburgh-based development firm, bought Hillview from the county in 2004. In 2009, Candy Braniff leased the building from Trico Enterprises began hosting tours and paranormal investigations, while also gathering volunteers to help maintain the building. Since May of 2013, Haunted Hillview Manor, Inc. has run the location. Different paranormal ventures and day tours fund the refurbishment of the building. Hillview Manor is considered one of the most haunted locations in western Pennsylvania. There are websites that claim 10,000 people died here, but that is impossible. There were probably a couple hundred people who died here, but the facility never had that many people staying there. We have heard that this might have been used as the county morgue, so perhaps that is where people are getting the idea that 10,000 dead people came through there. Regardless of how many people died here, the number that matters to us is how many of those souls remain. And the answer is quite a few. Stephanie, who suggested this location, wrote us, I've just found out that I'm empathic. 
I feel energies. I've been to Hillview Manor a few times this year. I felt a little girl hold my hand. She likes to hang out on the top floor. On that same floor, there seems to be a negative energy, and we believe this because while using a spirit box up there, I was told to go F myself, and the thing challenged me. Nice. Nice welcoming feeling there. Yeah, I want to <laughs> hang out with you. On the third floor, we smelled cigars, and last year that place was so negative, I didn't stay the whole night. One hallway makes me feel overcome with sadness, and I started to cry there this year. On the first floor, I caught a video of a necklace swinging in the room of a patient named Mary Virginia. I find it interesting that she said on the third floor they had smelled cigars, and there are other people who've claimed to have smelled that phantom smell. And I'm like, did they let them smoke cigars in here? Or was there some men who were sneaking them? Who knows? Trust yeah. your nose picture. It may be a ghost. I thought that was very interesting. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Mary Virginia is one of the most prominent spirits at Hillview. Her room reminds us of Sarah's room at Malvern Manor. You remember that room, Kelly? But of course. Had all kinds of coloring books and crayons and toys and things like that. Mm -hmm. Well, here they've got dolls, costumes, and items to play with on the bed and dressers. And there are several necklaces that belong to Mary Virginia that hang on the wall. So I'm assuming when Stephanie caught a video of these necklaces swinging, that's what it was. Those necklaces were swinging that are right there above the bed. Mary Virginia had cerebral palsy and spent her entire life at Hillview. She loved to play dress up and listen to music. So she enjoys it when investigators try on some dress up clothes and people claim to hear the humming of music that Mary Virginia enjoyed. Occasionally, her favorite music will be caught on EVP. I'd love to know how that happens. Because for me, I'm like, how does it just catch music out of the air when there's nothing there to play it? It's one thing if it like starts up the record player or something. Sure. She is a friendly spirit who likes to move the dolls and cause the necklaces above her bed to swing. So that's something that many people have experienced. The spirit of a former maintenance man at the manor, George, is said to hang out in the basement. He loved football and was a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan, specifically of the Terry Bradshaw era. He smacks people on the back of the head. If... <laughs> Sorry. Hey, you know, if somebody's talking about somebody against my team, I might smack him on the back of the head, too, in the afterlife. Oh, my goodness. He smacks people on the back of the head if they mention being fans of another sports team. <laughs> another spirit residing in the basement, and specifically the boiler room, is thought to be Eli Sari. Eli was at the poor farm because he was a recovering alcoholic. The poor house was a dry place. And eventually, Eli's cravings for alcohol became too much for him, and he snuck out to go drinking. The following day, some of the residents found Eli passed out near the front door. So they dragged him inside and thought that laying him down in the boiler room would help him sober up. But Eli had ingested far too much alcohol, and he passed away in the boiler room from alcohol poisoning. 
Now his spirit is said to haunt the boiler room area, and he likes to target women for pranks and such. Women get grabbed, poked, and pinched. And if people are like, why would they put him in the boiler room? Obviously, it was warmer in there. And when they found him outside, he probably had some hypothermia going on. I would imagine. The spirit of a child named Jeffrey is said to be here. He was nine, and he and his 11-year-old brother were orphaned and brought here. The brother was adopted, but there's no record as to what happened to Jeffrey. And since he is a child spirit, we're left to think he passed away as a child at Hillview. He gave his name as Jeffrey when asked by some paranormal investigators. He likes to hang out on the second floor, so there are child toys scattered throughout one of the rooms up there for him to play with. It's in Jeffrey's room that investigators claim a dark entity named the Creeper likes to hide. This thing crawls on the floors and across the ceiling. And why is it that these poor houses, asylums, sanitariums all have this thing that's called like the Creeper? And other than them saying that it climbs like on the walls or ceiling, sometimes I wonder if somebody had a disability and that was how they got around, kind of like by Mm -hmm. dragging themselves, if it could be something like that. Could be. When I was a kid, we had friends. and Actually, I'm still friends with the family now, but she has passed away. She, uh, Their daughter was born with spina bifida, and I used to babysit and stuff and hang out at their house a lot. Yeah. And she had no use of her legs from the waist down. So she would, that's what she would do. She would drag herself across the floor like that. Right. People claim to hear its nails clicking on the floor and walls. Some guides claim to have caught it once on video, but when you and I watched it, Kelly, we were kind of unconvinced that that was... Right. I I don't know. I thought maybe it was the shadow of a cameraman because it kind of looked like he had a camera on his shoulder or something. So I didn't think it was a picture of the creeper. And in the critical care area was a man named Bill Boots who died at Hillview from what one guy believes was a heart attack because when he asked Bill what he died from, he felt a sharp pain in his chest. They do have paperwork with a William Boots who died in the 1990s. As for a lot of these other people, it's hard to find any documentation that they actually were here. These are just a few of the named ghosts, but there are many more spirits here. All of them seem to be friendly except one darker entity that hangs in the basement. One of the tour guides was closing down things one night and saw this dark, shadowy thing on the stairs in the basement. A manager at Hillview named Rochelle Razzo said, We always try to be skeptical about things. We try to find logical explanations before jumping to conclusions. But sometimes there are just some things you cannot account for logically, like watching doors open and close when there's no draft and no one else in the whole building. Another building manager claimed that she often saw full-bodied apparitions and communicated with spirits. Visitors and staff claimed to hear banging, moving objects, scratching on the floor, slamming doors, disembodied voices and footsteps, and pipes rattling. And this is in a building that has little electricity and no HVAC or plumbing. The grandsons of a woman who once lived here came to do some investigating, and the group they were with captured an EVP that gave a family nickname that no one else would know. And speaking of grandmothers, another woman who visited Hillview said that her grandmother used to play the piano every day. And there are people who claim to hear the sounds of a piano, even though there is no piano in the building. A former employee said, As a nurse, I had numerous experiences while working. On one occasion, while walking from the east wing to the west wing, a very cold and cloudy form passed through me. It did not frighten me, only gave me an incredible chill. On other occasions, when on the second floor near the break room, It would not be uncommon for me to see what appeared to be someone walking down the hall, but upon checking things out, nobody was ever there. Members of Lakeview Paranormal shared with Philly Ghosts some of their experiences. 
Liz said her most notable experience occurred in the men's cafeteria, where she sensed a lot of tension and she captured temperature fluctuations. Senior investigators John and Greg felt like something followed them through Hillview, and Greg smelled perfume and cigar smoke emanating from the rooms on the third floor. Changes in air pressure caused some of the investigators' ears to pop. That's pretty weird. I agree. Ghost Lab investigated here in 2010. Ghost Hunters investigated in 2011, and the Tennessee Wraith Chasers were there with their Ghost Asylum show in 2015. And the Wraith Chasers attempted to trap the spirits of two suicidal people. One of them supposedly stabbed himself 30 times. Mm-hmm. How in the world? Mm-hmm. The guys also blasted off a bunch of fireworks to distract some kind of gargoyle entity that they kept talking about. They did seem to prove a theory that there were a couple murders here that were covered up as suicides. I'm sorry, but it's kind of like when somebody shoots themselves twice in the head and they call it a suicide. Yeah, I agree. I mean, maybe it happens, but I don't know how somebody would stab themselves 30 times unless they were very superficial stab wounds. And then you had one that was the final straw or something. I don't know, but it seemed a bit far fetched to me. And I didn't hear a whole lot about suicides in this building, so... I don't know if they have record of that, but yeah, they built this contraption that supposedly they were going to capture a spirit in. I, I've only watched their show a couple times. It seems like that's one of the things they try to do is kind of like Ghostbusters capturing spirits and then they take it back to their clubhouse. I don't know what they call it. And then they put it in this box to try to detect if there's something there. When they got back to their place and they did whatever they did, they didn't find that there was anything in there. So they're like, well, maybe it got out on our way here. So I was just like... Yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, I know there was some science behind it with a copper cap and it was in a triangle and they had some firework inside of it. My biggest thing watching it was how did they let them fire off fireworks inside that building? Right. (laughs) I don't know, but. They were doing some outside, but some inside as well. Yeah, I mean, they had fireworks inside that triangular thing that they were trying to capture the spirit in, so. And they took pictures on the inside of it with a camera. I don't know how it did that with a firework going off too, but the smoke was swirling and they put a circle around one of the swirling pieces of smoke and said, oh, look, this looks like a demon. (laughs) And I was like, okay. (laughs) Not to disparage, it's just we're very skeptical when it comes to something Uh, like that. Anything on TV I've gotten very skeptical about. It's kind of like with pictures. I just don't trust any pictures anymore. So most of the stuff on TV, I don't trust a lot of it anymore either. Portals to Hell, as we mentioned earlier, did visit during season three, And they were greeted by Carrie Trico of Trico Enterprises. So even though since 2013, there's been this Heelview Manor, Inc. that's running it, somehow Trico Enterprises must still own the building or they have some connection here. She told them that her mother had bought the property with the hope of turning them into condominiums. Carrie's had a few of her own experiences, and she always gets a feeling that there is something watching her in the front entrance area. She will not go down what they call the time clock hallway because there's something dark in it. There is a stairway behind the hallway that leads down to the basement, and the guides here claim that there is a portal under that stairway. And this is where they think that malevolent energy is, too. A black mass goes back and forth like it's pacing. Psychic Michelle Belanger went through with a blindfold, and she got dizzy in the time clock stairwell. And in Jeffrey's room, she picked up on the entity that they call the Creeper and said it was something that could shapeshift into whatever it wants and that sometimes that could be a child. Michelle didn't believe a child was in the room. So the story about Jeffrey may just be a legend because she was like, I don't feel a child here at all. Or it could be the creeper 
shape-shifting into a child back and forth. That's exactly what she thinks is going on. She goes, if you're getting a child from in here communicating like it's a child, she goes, it's this thing manifesting in a different way. And we've heard that before. Katrina and Jack focused on this second floor area probably because there are really no negative experiences anywhere else in the building. And since it's called Portals to Hell, it's interesting when you watch all these different shows that go there that they focused on different things. Like the Tennessee Wraith Chasers were there to try to communicate with these two suicidal people. So they didn't talk about any of the other stories or any, you know, none of these people talked about Mary Virginia. Interesting. Definitely portals to hell. They just want to focus on negative because they want to scare. So this was a very scary place to them, even though everybody else we've talked to, it's not really that scary of a place. Yeah, I just go in and wherever I feel drawn, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. (laughs) They heard disembodied footsteps and rattling and knocking. The knocking was in response to a request to make a noise. And it was pretty cool the way it happened. The first time was light, but then Jack knocked and asked for the spirit to knock again, and it knocked really loud. And then all of them jumped. The cameraman jumped and everything. And I just thought it was kind of funny because I'm like, you guys are supposed to be experienced investigators. Why are you jumping with just a knock? Well, I mean, if it surprises you, uh, anyone can react that way. I know. I would have just been like, cool, it knocked when we asked for it to <laughs> knock again. You might have jumped just as a, <laughs> a gut reaction, though. You never know. <laughs> I will be honest. Now that we have quite a bit of experience underneath our belts and I start watching this stuff on TV, like when they were talking about this was a scary place, nothing that happened to them would have I thought was scary. I'm like, there was no touching, nothing like that. It was just, it was mostly these disembodied footsteps and knocking noises. So I'm like, that's not scary to me. They got to dramatize things for TV, make it interesting. I know. Ghost Adventures visited in season four on episode six. They captured EVPs saying, I'm Jim. Get out of this room. Get that guy. Blue. Did she? Hurt your back. Yeah, it is. Hi, Zach. Maybe. Hockey. Pittsburgh. I can't. Go check. Do the math. I plan on fixing them. Split. I got a question. Let us hear. And Alicia. I'm not sure who Jim or Alicia are, but maybe there are a couple of people who were there. And I'm assuming the Pittsburgh and the hockey was them talking to George. Perhaps, yeah. And that's a heck of a lot of EVPs. That is a lot of EVPs. A door opened on its own and Zach claimed to have his shirt tugged real hard and something grabbed his arm. Nick saw a shadow figure in a hallway. They also heard pipes rattling, scratching, and banging. Hillview Manor was home for many people who had nowhere else to go and no one to care for them. It makes sense that some of them would want to stay in the afterlife. Is Hillview Manor haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, Kelly, if we ever get ourselves up to Newcastle, this might be a place to check out. They do have a lot of rules when it comes to investigating. But, um, yeah, be a, a neat place to check out. We could stay at the Wyndham Poconos. Oh. In Shawnee. Is it near, <laughs> is it near to Newcastle? It's Western. I don't know. I'd have to look at it on a map. Okay. Well, that'd be cool. One of these days when we can actually have our traveling be for pleasure. Right. (laughs) So we had, we don't have anything really planned for this year because we just don't know where you're going back and forth from California a lot. So exactly. And I can't really leave here right now because my parents are needing me to help out. 2023 is not a big visit. Is not a big um, travel Travel for pleasure year. (laughs) Yeah. Year for us. (laughs) 
We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, make suggestions like Stephanie did about places for us to check out, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. I wanted to share this interesting post in our spectacular crew from Callie. She said, I'm not sure how many will consider this paranormal, but wanted to share a heartwarming story. And you know what? We have found those two things go hand in hand a lot of the time. This is true. I also have many stories to share from our 1860s house, honeymoon, town, and life at a later date. We want to hear them, Callie. So write them and send them to us or whatever. Send them in. We hear from you guys (laughs) all the time. You have stories and then you don't share them. So we'd love to have those so we can share them with everybody else. So she posted a picture of their beautiful cat who is white. And so his name is perfect. She says, this is our Yeti. Aww. He's a very special boy to us. Not only is he pretty much a mama's boy, which is a thousand percent okay with me, but on December 27th, my husband and I put our oldest dog down due to failing health. We live in Ohio, and during this time, we were in the middle of a winter storm with inches of snow, sub-zero weather, and horrid wind, which is why I don't live in Ohio. As we went outside to see the vet off after putting Cooper down, we heard meowing. Oh, that's really cool. They were able to do it with their dog at home. At I've home, done that before, yeah. which is so much better. Frantic meowing. It didn't take us long to see where it was coming from. A small white kitten shivering and totally horrified was walking through the snow in our direction. We could tell he definitely wanted to come up to us, but was terrified due to not knowing where he was and why he was so cold. We live on a small farm and had several cats dumped over the years. We tried and tried to catch him to no avail, and he slept in one of the several cat boxes we have that night. Next morning, I got the box trap from my parents' house, and it didn't take long to catch him. He spent about a week on our back porch, which is heated. And finally, after saying no more house cats to each other for a week, my husband and I decided there was something special about him. Aww. He wore him down. We folded and let him in the house. He is the most kind and gentle cat with the sweetest eyes and is always laying by us or close in the same room like our Cooper. We swear to this day he was a sign that our Cooper was finally at rest and made it to heaven. I, of course, had to get him an appropriate name tag. And the name tag has his name Yeti on it and, of course, has a Bigfoot on it as well. Aww. (laughs) So I love that. When it comes to pets, I believe anything about the supernatural. So I have no doubt that possibly Cooper said, hey, kitty, they need something to pick them back up. Definitely. Go take my spot over there. So very cool. Thanks for sharing that, Callie. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Join me in the cemetery by becoming an executive producer. You can join on Patreon or PayPal. Check out the Support the Show tab on the website for more information. Called Cusky, Cus, Cusky, Cusky.
cuss, cuss, don't cuss at me. Don't cuss at me. <laughs> Cusky. <laughs> a civil engineer named John Carlisle. God, what the hell? What, is my, what was my tongue doing? Carlisle. <laughs> a civil engineer named John Carlisle Stewart arrived in 1798 and noticed that a 50 acre plot at the confluence. National. I'm glad this is your paragraph. I know, God. <laughs> On the first floor, I caught a video of a necklace swinging in the room of a patient named Mer. 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 Mer